couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Jump, Jump on, on our boards, cause the boards are hot. We're going to the Olympics and we're going nonstop. Hey guys, it's Wheel of Randy, your favorite Randy Newman podcast. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Kind of an unusual episode today. We have a phone conversation with Ron Sexsmith. Uh, if you are a Ron Sexsmith fan and that's brought you here, welcome. This is not our usual episode. Uh, we usually have a format that's a little different from this. But with Ron, it's just him and me chatting for half an hour. So hope you enjoy it. Alright, let's start the show. It's Wheel of Randy! Okay, we are actually recording. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I hope, uh, you know, I'm, I know enough about uh, what we're talking about here. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm learning on the go as it is. I've, I've went back and listened to my first few episodes. I was like, what was I talking about? <laughs> right. But um, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this. Uh, Ron, I, I'm the first to admit that I am new to your music. I'm not going to be one of those guys that's like, oh, I've known him since. You know, ninety-eight or, or anything. Oh, I'm um, always surprised. You know, when anybody's heard of me, so don't worry about that. <laughs> well, uh, friend of the show, Michael Ross, uh, introduced me to you and uh, sent me a nice playlist, and and I've really, really enjoyed getting to know you uh, over the past few days. Uh, Thank you. The uh, the new album. Can we still call it a new album? It, it's called Permitted. Well, it's yeah, it's not that new anymore. It came out. You know, April 2020. So I'm actually well, about to life, make new- life has been a blur since April 2020, right? That's just a blink That's of an true. eye. Yeah. So it's, but I'm, yeah, you know, it's still my, my latest. And then um, I'm hoping to uh, make a new one in October uh, or start a new one in October. So. Very cool. Um, and I, Hermitage, it, it, it seems to have a, a theme of, of, of uh, Kind of moving to the country and and and, and starting fresh on that. Is it, am I picking up on that, right? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a, a sort of a domestic bliss kind of thing. Uh, getting out, uh, well, moving to a new town. We're in a small town as opposed to you know being in the country. I don't drive, so I kind of needed to be somewhere where I could walk and you know get a coffee or something. So <laughs> right. But it's definitely it's, it's a whole other vibe from Toronto for sure and yeah. and my wife and I felt we felt we needed a kind of a fresh start and we never owned a house before and it was impossible to own a house in Toronto because you know the real estate just went through the roof so sure sure now uh, is your house actually called Chateau Mermaid because you know, that's the name of the song that's the, that's, the, that's the name I gave it <laughs> because I always um you know, I never knew if I would ever own a house. And when when we saw this one, I just had a really good feeling about it. And I felt it deserved the name, you know, like Elvis had Graceland and you know, George Harrison <laughs> had, had, had Friar Park, right? Um, and, 
you know, my wife's always been very much into mermaids, you know. We, she loves being by the ocean, and she has all these little sort of knickknacks with mermaids. And, and I was thinking, it was sort of a play on words. It was kind of like a play on Ch- Chateau Mar- Marmont, you know, in, oh, in, in L.A. Yeah, so I just go, Chateau Mermaid, you know. So that's, uh, um, and that song was actually written before I moved, about a month before I moved to Stratford, because I was, um, you know, we'd seen the house, obviously, and we'd, and you know the deal went through and we had a house and I was just um, kind of excited and looking forward to it and so I wrote that one song a couple of, of tracks on, on this album that really uh, stood out to me if you wouldn't mind expanding on them um, first of all you don't want to hear it just keeps playing through my head I don't know if it's oh, wow. just the, the magic of a repeating chorus or, 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 or what but uh, uh, this, this, this song I, I'm seeing a lot of layers in this song. That it, yeah. It, that, that there's, there's, you know, the you know, directly the, the the relationship and, and and struggling with the relationship. But I almost feel like there's a layer of this that, that's between the artist and the listener. Right. And, well, know. I mean, I hadn't really thought of that, but but I, you know, it would make sense in a way. I mean, that was sort of, um, I mean, one of those kind of last minute, or not last minute, but it was one of the last songs I wrote for the album. <clears throat> and um, and it sort of came out of me reaching out to a producer that I'd worked with before, and we, we'd had a falling out. And it was sort of a bit of an olive branch to, to see, oh. hey, I've got these new songs, what do you think? And, and you know, and he was still just not interested in, you know, going there. Um, and I was kind of surprised. And, and I remember I wrote that song pretty much right then and there. It probably was in an hour. I had the, you know, the entire song, although I had to you know, tweak it a little bit. Yeah. But I, um, I love that yeah, line about so, music is an olive branch. It's a message in a bottle. Um, and, yeah. You know, yeah, hearing it in that context, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's pretty kind of naked song that way. You know, it was really fresh um, from being rejected, you know, and I just wrote it, and it made me feel better. And also, I've, it was the first one that I wrote that I thought, well, that sounds like maybe it could be the single or it could be a, a hit even if I get it if I get it right. Because oh, yeah. to, to me, I mean, I'm old, so to me it sounded like a song that the Chilites might have done, you know. <laughs> or um, that's sort of what I was going for. Or that oh, what's that other group um, that sang? Uh, Have you seen her? You know, um, yeah. was that the Twilight? That was the Twilight, right? I yeah, I think so. it was. Yeah. Um, or or that other, you know, I, I believe in miracles. Whatever that band, uh, hot, uh, hot chocolate, I think. Anyway. <laughs> um, it was in that I could hear it in that kind of seventy soul vein, and that's sort of what we went for. Yeah, I I, I know that, that that you grew up with with a lot of the the same influences I did. Whether it's the Kinks and and, and Pete Seeger, um, what what other musical influences did you have growing up? Um, well, it all for me it all started with Buddy Holly as a kid because oh, okay. um, my dad had left when I was two and he left a lot of 
his records and were mostly country records. And then there was a box of 45s that my mom let me play. So, so in that box was a 45 by Buddy Holly that it was, uh, it doesn't matter anymore. A song written by Paul Anka and that song, uh, just kind of blew me away. I would just play it over and over and probably drove everyone crazy with it. <laughs> and I was also very aware that he had died a few years before I was born. And that yeah. sort of gave it an extra eerie kind of quality to it. And, you know, so then I was kind of, um, you know, and also I wore glasses so I could sort of relate to him more than Elvis or something. Um, and around that time, my mom's cousin had an, an album of Buddy Holly's, you know, kind of a best of that, uh, you know, so I, I dived into that as well. And so he was kind of the, 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 you know, the spark plug of my whole life, really. And I realized, you know, without him, you wouldn't have the Beatles and all these other groups that I love, you know, and the Kinks and stuff. So, and those were some of my biggest influences. You know, I mean, I was mostly into British music as a kid and into my teens, like, with Elton John and again the Beatles and the Kinks and the Who and my early bands we that's what we were sort of going for it wasn't until I was in my getting into my 20s when I started to look around and notice all these like Leonard Collins and people from my own country you know like Lightfoot and Johnny Mitchell and and so I kind of um, I took a sort of a hard left turn there and sort of got into all that stuff in the sort of folk scene and I think that's where my music kind of exists. It's somewhere in the middle of kind of the British melodic music that I loved and the more, you know, Canadian folk kind of stuff. Right. Buddy Holly has a similar influence on me. I think a lot of that is because my dad grew up maybe 20 or 30 miles from him, and they're roughly the same age. Wow. And uh, Buddy died actually the day that uh, my oldest sister was born. Wow! <laughs> so uh, he, he, there was always this, this connection there, um, and yeah, the glasses helped too. It, I've, I've always wondered: is, is that why Elvis Costello wears the, the glasses? Was that a Buddy Holly tribute, or was that just some sort of coincidence? Um, no, I think he's really, you know, is really poor eyesight, Elvis. <laughs> I think maybe initially coming out that sort of iconic first album cover I think you know just he just even using the name Elvis was pretty bold you know and, <laughs> sure. right I don't know if he got the Costello from Lou Costello or not or where that came from but <clears throat> um, it's such a <clears throat> but yeah definitely when you see Elvis and you see this sort of um, I don't know what word I don't want to say nerdish but you know this guy with glasses and you know it uh, you think Buddy Holly <clears throat> and yeah. And I think Elvis's music, even though uh, was a lot closer to Buddy Holly's than Elvis Presley's, you know, just to, oh, yeah. although they, you know, angrier at the time, Elvis wrote, you know, pretty angry stuff. Um, but yeah, so I think that was part of it for sure. I, I love how there's, uh, you know, just, just like uh, Elvis and 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 Leonard Cohen, although people don't don't see that uh, until they really dive deep into it. There, there's a lot of humor uh, in, in your music, and, and we'll touch on that a lot when we talk Randy. Uh, and I, I really see that in, in Winery Blues. I just, I, I audibly laughed when I heard Winery Blues oh. <laughs> uh, because it reminded me of all of the 
gigs that my daughter did where the, the, the facility was just completely not ready for right yeah well that that one again like uh you don't want to hear it was really you know i was feeling bad about it something that happened and i wrote that song and felt much better (laughs) i was you know opening up for you know a a friend or acquaintance in the canadian music industry and it was supposed to be an easy gig it was just going to be me and my keyboardist opening up for this guy who's pretty well-known singer here and and uh, for some reason the sound man was wouldn't let my sound man do his job and he was being a real jerk and but i didn't know any of this of this was going on because i was backstage having wine and everything and looking forward to the show and so it just then when we got on stage you know it's just sort of like what's going on and i mean they sort of sorted it out but it just gave me this really bad feeling that sort of lingered for a while until I wrote that that song and kind of made it sort of funny again. Uh, it wasn't didn't feel funny at the time, but the, you know I was I, I was just happy to get that song on a record because it you know it felt good to write it. But then I thought, well, I don't know if I'm the right person to sing it because I don't really have I don't know I didn't I felt it was kind of like a kind of a bluesy type song. I don't really have that kind of voice. So no, it definitely worked. Turned out more of like a Beach Boy thing or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it reminded me, you know, not stylistically, but, but thematically, of uh, Don Prine's Onomatopoeia. Uh, just uh, oh. talks about the, the they're filming it, they're recording in a boxing ring in the middle of the Grand Canyon. And <laughs> <laughs> the sound is just a mess. Well, it's humbling sometimes the, the stuff you in the music. I mean, I guess in any walk of life, but that you have to endure sometimes, you know, and get through it and. Um, so yeah, you know, and uh, it's funny, you know, some of these songs, you, and this is true of all my albums, you make these records and there's always certain songs that for whatever reason you, you never end up playing again <laughs> once you've recorded them and that's one of them. I haven't done that one live or, um, well actually, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of live going on <laughs> with the pandemic, right. but, but uh, yeah, you know, I was sort of focusing, there's about four or five that I was you know, because I was doing actually a residency gig here in my hometown when we were allowed to last year. I was doing twice a month, and I was so it was good to f- go out and finally play some of these songs live, and uh, and you know songs from my other albums as well. Well, yeah, that that's a, a game I started playing with myself as I was diving into this. I was like, can I can I figure out what the hits are? Uh, <laughs> what, what, what what do you close your concert with? What is what is the crowd going to to riot if you if you don't play? What? Yeah, there's a lot of second guessing going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know in my own world, <clears throat> my own fan base world, uh, there's probably you know, maybe five songs that I'm sort of expected to play every night. And and usually I do, but but then it's so weird because you never know who's in the audience. There's some people there who only know those songs, right? Those you right. Know, and then there's other people who are real diehards and they get they want to hear all the obscure things and stuff and so and then I'm just then there's the songs that I want to play because I want to enjoy myself too. So <laughs> it's like a you you know I don't want to play three hour shows so I just I, I, it's always a bit of a hair pulling type thing you know just coming up with the set list sometimes and now you've got what fifteen albums under under your belt so I'm sure that yeah it's actually I think harder. it's I think it's sixteen actually but yeah wow so, uh, you uh, 
are touring starting in November, it looks like, Canada and then the UK? No, it's it's been pushed to March now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, and even that is up in the air, right? Um, oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I, it, you know, my, the first show is supposed to start in Dublin, Ireland, and I can't even imagine um, myself walking out on stage over there after all we've been through. So, but but well, what better I, place to start a tour than Dublin? It's like one of the greatest sort of music cities in the world, you know. Well, I can cure you of any of any uh, reticence you have about about getting out there. All you have to do is come to Oklahoma for a couple of days, and, and people here will try to convince you that it doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm the yeah, only I've one never... in a mask more often than not. Yeah, I mean, I've only, I think, if I've played, you know, I don't even think I've played, like, Oklahoma City is not actually in Oklahoma, right? It is in Oklahoma. It, it's it is Kansas okay, City, yeah. but it's in a different, yeah. Oh, right, Kansas okay. City maybe that's maybe Oklahoma City. Because I think I've played Oklahoma City once with Lucinda Williams, and that probably okay. was the only time I ever played there. Um, that was in 2001. But I've never, I've never done that well in the U.S. I've done, there's maybe, uh, six or seven cities where I can go and, and they're the cities you would expect, I guess, where people, sure. where I can pack a club or something, you know, yeah. you know, and, I've, I've, and that's, I've heard and that that's from, fun. I've heard that from so many Canadian artists that, that there's, yeah. it's just hard to break, break through. Um, you know, if, if I went out on the street and asked a hundred people, uh, you know, what the tragically hip was, I'd get a hundred blank stares. Uh, yeah. There's, there's just not, and, you know, I, I, I've been to Canada. I, I'm I'm not seeing a huge difference in in the people, but it's it's almost like the industry is 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 yeah. bending over backwards to to I, I don't know. Well, in Canada, there's only like uh, there's some people in Canada that are huge here that can't get arrested anywhere else. So I'm relatively lucky that I can travel the world and I'm known everywhere, even in America. Like, you know, like again, in those sort of music places, yeah. I can go and do okay. Um, but, it, yeah, it is, uh, it is sort of a, a mystery sometimes, like why, you know, something doesn't translate. And um, There's a lot of Canadian bands who do well right on those border towns. And I'm sort of the opposite. I seem to do better the more you sort of get in there, you know, for some oh. reason, like, like the San Francisco and LA and Nashville. And I do pretty well in Chicago and New York, uh, Philly, you know, stuff like, stuff like that. But well, I imagine um, that any of your Seattle fans would just take a train to Vancouver. <laughs> Maybe you not Yeah, they, them. they would probably do that. I do terrible, terrible in Seattle and Portland, you know? Um, so yeah. yeah, I would, I would get quite a few, uh, you know, the Seattle fans in Vancouver or Victoria or something. So. I'm, I'm quickly be, becoming a big fan here, and you know, I'm I'm not one of those people that I'm I'm, I'm not a gatekeeper. I'm never going to look down the nose of anybody, you know, hasn't you know dove in dove in to, to, to Randy Newman or, or, or to anybody. So uh, yeah, I am. Yeah. I can hold my head high and say you know, I'm new to this game. So let's talk a little, Randy. Um, okay. What, what what song did you bring for us to break down today? Um, I think it's called Lost Without You, right? Yeah, yeah, Lost Without You. 
Uh, and I'm going to ask my listeners to pause for a minute and, and listen to that a couple times. Talk the album yeah. Dark Matter. And once you've done that, we will be right back. Oh my gosh, this is such a sad song, Ron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a guy who's written a lot of sad songs, this one totally rips your heart right out of your chest. It's so yeah. so uncomfortable and so real. Um, you know, I remember uh, there was another tune he had called um, Every Time It Rains, and uh, I was working on an album with Mitchell Froome in New York, and he said, this song has the saddest line I've ever heard in a song and it was um the last verse he sings uh uh every time i try and tell myself that in time i'll find somebody else it won't be you <laughs> and it's just yeah. like oh my god uh-huh. and but this song uh lost without you is a whole other level because um even if you haven't experienced anything like that in your own family it's like it's like being a fly on the wall um at at it's something so heavy and so personal. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that song, you, you can't even, it's not even a song you can listen to very often because, you, you know, unless you want to cry all the time. You know? Right. Uh, yeah, I found myself crying this morning and life was like, what's yeah. going on? I was like, oh, I don't even listen to <laughs> And, you know, I've heard this song 20 times, but, but just yeah. hearing it fresh, it, it really gets you. It's, this is such a challenging song. Um, yeah, lyrically, because the narrator flips back and forth a couple of times. Um, that, yeah, that we we start with with the husband, and then we have him overhearing the wife's monologue, yeah. and then it switches switches back to the husband. And well, then it then it, it switches to his dying wife that went you know towards the yeah. end as well. Oh, it sure does. Yeah, and oh and it just gosh. and there and there's humor there too, like with a lot of his songs, you know. At first, you know, and you um, just the idea that he's like he's kind of become the black sheep of his own family, and he's you know the kids don't want him around, or they're you know they're frustrated with him or whatever, and he's you know kind of listening around the corner. There's something kind of funny about that, but yeah. But he but then there's this terror, right? He's just terrified that he's just kind of losing the only friend he has maybe and uh so and then it's so great how his wife sticks up for him at the end you know yeah she she's like i not only is she watching out for him you know make sure he gets into bed and not sleeping in the recliner but uh basically look kids it's time to suck it up and yeah take care of she's like i don't care i don't care what makes you feel you you know if you're embarrassed or whatever it's just you know that's your he was there for you at one point and it's your duty and i don't know it was just like and he's kind of a master of that of a kind of approaching sort of not very uncommon things you know but from a a whole new angle um and uh yeah so anyway that song is just a devastating song and uh it's definitely uh, my favorite one on that record you know yeah that that one gets me, and, and Wandering Boy, I'm I'm just a, a weepy mess at the end of that song. That's beautiful uh, too, yeah. Yeah, it really is. I I like uh, from a composition standpoint uh, that 
he's just kind of got the melody going in his right hand and, and I, I, he's not talking through it, but it, it's just it, 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 the, 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 the piano and, and the voice are, are, are just completely in parallel throughout this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like a song, really. Uh, uh, you know, it's like a almost a theatrical piece, right? There's all every little section has its own kind of sort of melodic thing that's going on, yeah. and then obviously there's the refrain, you know, that kicks off and ends the song. Yeah. Um, which I think uh, he's been sort of writing more and more like that in recent years, you know, even on you know harps and angels and there was stuff like that that were these, yeah, almost like discordant in places, you know, just yeah. kind of. But I, you know, I I, I remember I, I was talking to Mitchell Froom about it because he's worked with Randy now on a few albums, and and I think he at one point he'd he'd asked Randy. Like, do you ever think, like, you know, you could simplify this song and it would make it more, you know, palatable to some people, right, who might not get all the uh, the nuances and things. And But not suggesting he should, but he just wondered because um, it's so un- uncompromising, right? And, yeah, yeah. And I think this – and he's always, he always has been. And so, you know, at this point, why – you know, why would you want to soft soap it or something? So, uh, but yeah, it's it's just, uh, you know, he's, there's a serious mind at work when, when Randy's composing. Yeah. I, I love the string work that kicks us off. I think it's his best string work since <coughs> Marie. Just this, yeah. This rock, uh, Sorry. And, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's very, uh, you know, he, he knows how, he, he finds himself sometimes in these songs that, it's it's very uh, you know almost Stephen Fosterish like sometimes you know the melodies that come out and that kind of uh, he's yeah. coming from that sort of ragtime place or whatever and and the the strings sound like it's something could, you know could have come off of Ray Charles album or something you know there's just yeah, these yeah. really beautiful George on my mind kind of moments and um, it always puts all these it's it's kind of pure Americana in a way. It makes me think of like Mark Twain and all these people, right? When I hear those kinds of strings and um, almost really an Aaron know. Copeland thing going on as well. That's the name. That's the name I was searching for, actually. Yeah, you know, Warren Zevon had a bit of that too with the, with the song uh, um, Frank and Jesse James. You know, they had that Aaron Copeland vibe and yeah. this uniquely American thing. We don't really have that up here. But uh, yeah, but Randy's a master of, of that, whatever that whole stew is, you know, of <laughs> ragtime and blues and, and and classical composition as well. You know, I mean, he was probably a big fan of all those, um, you know, the Cole Porters and people like that. I would imagine. Oh, sure. Yeah. Do you, Do you know Randy personally? Have you have, have you had a chance to meet him? Yeah, I mean, not we're not. We're not good, like great friends, and but I have met him on occasion, um, you know, and and through Mitchell Froome uh, and his working relationship, I, I even got to watch him record once. I was in the studio when he was doing the song "I Want Everyone to Like Me." <laughs> so oh yeah, yeah. Got, and actually, I was the one that I got to pick the the take because they did a few takes of it, and they came in, and Randy looked at me, and 
you know, asked me what I thought, and I said, I think it's definitely the first take, you know, because it had that something that, you know, it just had that thing, and so they went with it. <laughs> so, you know, That's my contribution to the the Bad Love album. Um, All right. Yeah, and I've met him. Uh, I had an album called uh, um, Forever Endeavor a few years ago, and Mitchell was working with Randy at the time, and and he called me one day. He said Randy came in and listened to the demos for my Forever Endeavor album, and he said some really nice things about me and my songs, and which made my head kind of expand. I just couldn't believe it. You know? Wow, because I see someone I admire so much. You know? If, if you have a few minutes, normally we, we, we do a second song or a, a shorter thing on the second song. And, and you, you had mentioned I Don't Want to Hear It as a possibility. Yeah. And that's one sure. of my favorite uh, songs of his. Um, again, just yeah. this, this tragic uh, this yeah. tragic song of, uh, you know, not only are, are they not, not only are they in, in, in really high levels of poverty, but that poverty is making their relationship worse because she's able to hear all, all these things about him. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's kind of a similar fly in the wall kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's a little more sort of humorous. I mean, a lot more than lost without you. Oh yeah. Cause you feel, yeah. you know, it's like a horrible situation that it's almost like a, you know, a Telltale Heart, you know, he, by Edgar Allan Poe. Right. Well, he, he's he's done this, you know, he knows he, he, that he's done wrong, and he has to be reminded <laughs> by by his neighbors talking. And, um, you know, my favorite version is the Dusty Springfield version. Yeah, that was and the I, only one I knew for a long, long time. Um, yeah, it, but, you know, hats off to her for picking it, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's such an unusual, again, angle to approach uh, a song um but the line that kills me like makes me sort of breaks my heart is the one you know t i guess towards the end like where you hear someone say uh um you know what, a nice girl falls for a guy who doesn't care for her at all you know? oh yeah oh. That one just like, and he has to listen to that and you know and it kind of for me it hits home too because in my first relationship uh you know, the woman I had my kids with, you know, uh, I was traveling so much and doing all the stupid things musicians are known for. And I always felt so guilty all the time and so ba bad about just all the carrying on. And so I really related to that aspect of it. You know, just that feeling of, like, you know, you just feel like a heel. And, um, yeah, so that, that song, it, it's not that well known of a song really. Um, I'm not sure uh, I I've ever think... heard Randy do it. I, I, I think the Dusty's really the only one I've heard. There must I'll... there must be a demo of him doing it somewhere. I'll, um, I'll start digging through, and, and listeners, if I find that, I'll, I'll put a link on the show. Yeah. I, there's, there's a pretty good version by Scott Walker, too, that, okay. that some people say that's their favorite version. But um, I love Scott, but I, I, Dusty's is just so, I mean, she could sing the phone book, right? So Yeah. I enjoyed your cover of it uh, last week or maybe two weeks yeah. ago. You, you put links up to uh, five uh, Randy covers that you'd done. Um, and yeah. I'm going to put links on that to the show. I know you did. I don't want to hear it. I know you did Naked Man. What yeah. were the others on that? Um, I did Simon Smith and I did 
Um, I mean, I, I've done more on my channel than I did that week because it's okay. part of my five song a week thing. But I did also. Uh, he gives us all his love. And, oh yeah. Uh, and feels like home. Okay. I did that one too. So. And Simon Smith is such a tricky song. It's. I don't think people. Well, I, and I can't a, play. I, I'm a terrible piano player, so I, I'm doing this really <laughs> a rudimentary attempt at it. Um, uh -huh. You know, but I, again, that's a song that's really funny, and you're just sort of rooting. I love that line where it goes, "They feed us, don't they?" <laughs> you know? Right. It's just like, uh, yeah, it's just brilliant. And um, and that, and that okay. song's been done. Well, Harry Nilsson did it, and the guy from the Animals had a nice version of it. Um, yeah. Whatever his the keyboard is. Uh, such a great song. And, but uh, uh, Price. Yeah, yeah, Alan Price yeah. did it. Yeah. Alan Price. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I just, just thoroughly enjoyed those, and so I'm going to encourage my listeners to listen to those. Thanks. Ron, Ron I appreciate it. I, I know you're a busy guy. We really appreciate you taking the time to do this, and uh, the, the, the Randy fans appreciate you, and, and uh, hopefully you'll get some, some new fans from this show as far as this. Yeah, well, it's always great to talk about Randy Newman or any other songwriters I admire, but he's up there, you know. He's one. Oh, yeah. He looms large in my life, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with the tour when, whenever it happens, and, uh, you know, good okay. good luck with, with the new record, and uh, just keep, yeah. keep on keeping on, man. You, you're doing good work. Thank you. Great chatting with you. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. Thank you to our guests today, and thank you to all my listeners. It means the world to me that you guys spend some time listening to us do this. Our artwork was created by Brian Mays. You can check him out on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. Thanks to Matt Farley at Moturn Media for most of our bumper music. You can reach him at Moturn Media. That's M-O-T-E-R-N Media. And chances are he's got a song about anything you can imagine. So check him out. Good stuff. Thank you to Alex Sanchez for our Pod of Second Chances theme. Thank you to Good Trash Media for continuing to host us and continuing to promote us and retweet us. Our opening and closing background music is the one and only Bob Cribby, Avalanche Bob himself. You can check his music out at avalanchebob.bandcamp.com. Thank you very much to his producer, Sam Kogon, for being so cool about letting us use Bob's music. We miss you, Bob. High power, snow power, to the stars, protect the earth. You'll notice we no longer have a sponsor. That's both for legal reasons and because our previous sponsor has gotten so much work, presumably from this show, that he doesn't need to advertise. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.